across the city and South Cambridgeshire. On FM, digital and your mobile. Cambridge 105 Radio. I'm going to read you the menu. It's fantastic. So we get better flavour because of the fen soil. I've drunk more beer since I came here and bought my two barrels than I've ever done in my life before, I think. I shouldn't have said almonds. They don't make it from almonds. <laughs> so you've got this big sticky mess when you start off. Pizza pot pies. My wife's cakes are selling up hot cakes. Brilliant, thank you. The time is right for this sort of thing. Food is everything. Cambridge is right for this sort of thing. What's it like? <laughs> Good afternoon and welcome to Flavour, 105 Radio's local food and drink news programme. I am Matt Bentman and I may be alone in the studio today, but my colleagues Alan Alder and Sue Bailey, they've been busy as usual, recording features and gathering news, so you're always going to hear a team effort when you listen in. So, coming up on today's programme, we will be foraging with our regular flavour voice, Mr Steve Thompson, otherwise known as the foraging chef, as he fills us in on what's best to gather up over August. Fishmonger Ben Roberts will be back with his next instalment in quick and easy fish recipes. And it's not often that I use the phrase hero, but in this case, it's entirely justified as we meet a local food hero, minus the Mark Knopfler soundtrack and the Burt Lancaster cameo. And of course, there will be a smattering of the latest local food news. And at the end of the programme, a brief roundup of local jobs in the food industry. So let's begin with the nice familiar voice of Steve Thompson, the foraging chef. Now, Sue has been recording with Steve for several years. He's always got new and interesting things to say, no matter the month. And this month is no exception. No prizes, though, for guessing that blackberries are the order of the day. It is time for Steve Thompson, the foraging chef. Hi, Steve. I see. Yeah, middle of August. I think the most obvious thing at the moment is we've got sunshine again, which is lovely. Everything's looking really nice and lush because we've just had a really wet month. So we've got a lot of the kind of autumnal herbs that are worth looking about for. Fruits are doing really well, berries. And that's what we're really going to talk about today. The obvious one is blackberries. Of course, and they're beginning to look okay, aren't they? Yeah, they are, certainly. Around Cambridge at the moment, they're just starting. But if you head over more St Ives Way, where I am at the moment, then we've had them for about two, three weeks, and they're really lush at the moment. A really good year for blackberries. They're really nice and sweet at the moment. A real simple fruit that we should be using more of. It's something we could buy in shops, and often we buy other fruits from shops. But when there's blackberries around, it's very easy just to go out and get them, and I think that's something we should be using a lot more of. There's no air miles in it, no plastic packaging, nothing. They're just on our doorstep. Very easy to identify. You're not going to mistake them. My three-year-old son absolutely loves them. So many things we can do. We can make jams, we can whack them into crumbles, we can mix them with apples. We tend to kind of ferment them down, use a lot of the natural yeast on the outside of it with sugar, turn it into a wine and make vinegars. So really, it's as complex as you want it to be. You can eat them raw off the bush, you can eat them with a bit of cream, or you can go wild with them. And you were saying your, your son eats them almost as sweeties, which is a lovely idea. Oh, yeah, it saves me a fortune on treats at the end of August. He absolutely goes mad for him. Blackberry picking is a real treat for him. What about blackberry vinegar? How would you make that? Yeah, so we uh, ferment it into a wine first, and then we add just a splash or so of uh, raw vinegar into it and then let the rest happen. So basically we uh, whack them down, juice them down with extra little bit of water, some sugar, uh, leave the natural yeasts on the outside of it all and just let that ferment away. Uh, what ratio of water, sugar, blackberry would you say? We just kind of let down the blackberries so it's kind of, you can still see it's concentrated, but you don't want it too loose really. It's just to kind of bulk it out a bit really with the water. 
And then sugar-wise, sort of 50% in weight to blackberries will get you something that's sort of medium strength. Yeah, the natural yeast on it. So don't wash them off, don't cook them, don't heat them, nothing like that. Just let it go. And when you see it finishing ferment, I mean, you'll smell it then and it'll start to smell alcoholic. And then we just add a little bit of uh, raw vinegar to it and let it do its thing. You'll see the mother start developing slowly over the next few months and sort of by Christmas time, we'll have a lovely vinegar then. Oh, that's interesting. So what does a vinegar mother look like? (laughs) So if you've not done it before, it kind of... Does it look like a bit like an alien blob? I think that is pretty much the best way to describe it, yes. <laughs> it's kind of almost like your agar pessary dishes, kind of that kind of texture to it, that maybe when you're doing science at school, that kind of thing. But yeah, it kind of just looks like an alien blob. And, and what actually is the vinegar mother as such? So vinegar mother is just a culture of bacteria, really. Which are totally harmless. Yeah, they're totally harmless and absolutely wonderful. It's, we're just making it more acidic, really, and preserving through acidity. So we're taking the alcohol and the sugars and then making it more acidic. And as you say, the raw vinegar gives just that start to do it. Another way of doing it is just allowing the fruit flies to land in your wine and the bacteria naturally on their legs will then turn it into vinegar, but that's just a little bit gross, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think (laughs) I prefer the idea of the uh, adding your own vinegar to it. Another plant that's really easy to identify that's around at the moment is elderberries. Elderberries are great. Another vinegary product you can make out of that is Pontac sauce. So that's another one often described as kind of like a Worcestershire sauce, but I don't think it is really. I think, to be honest, it's more of a spiced elderberry vinegar. But it is really you just boiling up elderberries with vinegar and then whatever spices you want to add. So a lot of recipes will call for things like allspice and nutmeg and things like that. I think when you're using something wild like elderberries, we have a look around at this time of year, it's much nicer to put things like hogweed seeds in, Alexander seeds. Maybe uh, if you've got some woodhaven roots saved from last year, then that'd be nice to add to it. And I would also add a few rose hips there as well. Oh, that's a nice idea. And can you use the elderberries when they're still green or do you have to wait for them to turn? For Pontac sauce, use them when they've turned and they've ripened. But yeah, you can absolutely use elderberries when they're still green as well. We tend to add them to a sort of 20% brine, a really strong one, which we often do with a lot of kind of fruits. And then just leave them to sit in that for about a month strain them off and put them into a one, two, three pickling liquor. So one part vinegar, two part sugar, three part water. Okay, so they're almost like baby caper berries. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's what we use them as, really. Little elderberry capers. When they're green, they're a little bit crunchy and just kind of like a nice fresh burst you get from them. Other stuff at the moment, plums. Plums are all great and in season and everywhere you look at the moment, you'll see plums, mirabelle plums, damsons, all over the floor crunching down. So have a look up, have a pick. They're absolutely wonderful. The more cherry plums and mirabelle plums are nicer to eat raw, whereas things like the darker ones and the damsons are much nicer cooked, I find. They tend to be a little bit more astringent and dry. And where I'm walking at the moment, I'm also seeing lots of, again, plum-sized fruits, but they look like little baby crab apples. How do I know if they're safe to eat? All apples are safe to eat, so, yeah, they are all part of the Manus family. And, yeah, they're all, all safe to eat, all the crab apples at the moment, and give it another sort of month and they'll be dropping off the tree. I normally find sort of mid to end of September is a really good time around here for crab apples. Oh, okay. So don't bother to pick them yet. Just wait. I wouldn't because the tree will do all the work for you. In three or four weeks' time, you'll start to look at the base of the tree and they'll just be everywhere. And if you catch them fresh every morning, you can get bagfuls and bagfuls. Every road you drive down pretty much around the South Cams area is just covered in crab apples at that time anyway. So It's crazy, isn't it? What a waste. Yeah, it is, isn't it, really? I mean, it seems silly because I know a lot of people will still be spending so much money in the shops buying apples when we can just 
yeah, the crab apples will come first, and then after that there'll be the cookers and the eaters off the trees as well. So really, the next couple of months, there shouldn't be any reason to buy any any fruit at all from the shops, really. And what are you doing yourself? Are you Have you got any events coming up? Yeah, actually, we've got a couple of events coming up. So we will be announcing some more foraging tours, probably the autumnal sort of batch in the next week or so. So keep an eye on our social media for that. And if you go on Amphora's website, so search for Amphora Cambridge, then you'll see there's a couple of events with them. We've got one on the 10th of September, which tickets are live for at the moment. And one also, I think it's the 29th of October as well. So there'll be five course tasting menus with 10 wines to match. And they're brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, they're really great fun. They're great fun to do and hopefully they're really good fun to attend for everyone there as well. What I'd love to know is, are you ever thinking of running courses in the sense of teaching people how to do the amazing things that you know? Is that something for the future, do you think? At the moment, we're looking to try and get together and get a restaurant going. And I think that once we get a restaurant going, yeah, there may well be kind of some cookery courses where we do with it with preservation and how to use it and incorporate the whole thing so go out on a forage and then come back and cook it all it's probably in the next couple of years more rather than the near future but yeah there is plans for that in the future because i think you would make the most amazing teacher i mean certainly listening to you and just hearing all the things that you know i just passing it on and just being able to talk to you is is brilliant yeah i think it'd be nice to pass on some skills wouldn't it and get people doing it a bit more i think it's it's a really good money weight saving. It's a great hobby on its own because at the end of the day, it's just quite good fun to do. Yeah, exactly so, yeah. And that was Steve Thompson, the foraging chef. And don't forget, you can find Steve on Instagram. Just search for Chef Steve Thompson. That's all one word, and that's Thompson with a P as well. And you will get plenty of great photos of the varied creative dishes that he's come up with lately, as well as news on when and where his next pop-up dining is to be held and the collaborations that he's involved with, like the one he did with Amphora Wine Bar on Devonshire Road earlier this month. And just to give you an example of the type of things that he comes up with, I picked this one because the photo kind of made it look at first a little bit like a creme brulee. But it was actually, get this, venison meatballs with oyster custard with stout caramel and fermented field bluet gravy. I never knew you could get custard out of an oyster from a small cat, yes, but there you go. You learn something new every day. Food-wise, uh, uh, well, uh, 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 to err is human. <laughs> so we, um, oh, sorry again, sorry. Um, <laughs> um, but good food is divine. Um, um, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> so listen to flavour on Cambridge 105 Radio. We'll put the heating on as well. We've got, yes, <laughs> we've got nice fairy lights. <laughs> Okay, on to our first news roundup now for Saturday, the 26th of August. And in Congratulations Corner, we find the three hills in Bartlow, which has been listed in the BBC Good Food Guide to the best 20 country pubs in the UK. So hearty congratulations to them. And there is a vacancy coming up there for a chef as well. More about that in our job section at the end of the programme. Next up, Abbey Food Hub is closed today and Bank Holiday Monday. For people in urgent need, there is a page on the Cambridge Sustainable Food website telling you where food can be obtained each day, including links to any updates that there may be. The website also gives details on how you can donate food. 
The Kareem Foundation, we've mentioned them a few times in previous episodes, recently donated 60 kilograms of basmati rice, which is being distributed to the hubs now. Money for the rice was raised partly through donations at Cambridge Mosque. Now, there is a new farmer's market opening on the first Friday of every month at the CB1 location, just opposite the train station. It'll be running from 11am till 2pm. It will feature local produce, so, so basically your food, drinks, crafts, and it will begin on Friday the 1st of September. Modigliani, the little cafe and cake shop on Mill Road, is currently closed for its summer break. It will reopen on the 6th of September. And similarly... MJP at the Shepherds is going to reopen from its summer holiday on the 31st of August. Now, Vandalal is the well-regarded restaurant on Mill Road run by Alex Rushmer. It's always in high demand, so it's important to inform you that tables at Vandalal for October are going to be available for booking from noon on the 5th of September. MJP at the Shepherds has Ed Keith from Hallgarten Wines on the 27th of October, featuring wines from Rioja Alta, with Mark Poynton's team preparing five courses of food to showcase them. Ed Keith will return on the 17th of November with Rhone Valley Wines, again accompanied with five courses from Mark's team. Both nights start at 6.30 for a 7pm start, and that gives you the chance to purchase a pre-dinner cocktail. The cost for the dinner and the wines is £125 per person, and you can book your place by emailing mark at mjprestaurant.com. And in other news, from Mark Poynton, he's selling gift vouchers in multiples of £100, and for that you get £125 to spend for each voucher. That's a good deal, right? The offer ends tomorrow, Sunday, and the vouchers will be valid for one year. So that's all the news for now. We'll have more in a bit. On to our next feature... Now, you've probably heard us harping on about Olio for years. Olio is an app. You install it on your phone, it lists free food near you. You send a message to the person offering the food, you arrange where to collect it. That is Olio in a nutshell. Now, I was using Olio recently. Somebody near me was giving away a cheese bloomer loaf. I love bread and cheese. If I was on death row, I think I'd like to think I would reject lobster thermidor, caviar sprinkled in golden saffron. I would go for a really, really good quality bread and cheese as my last meal. I adore it. Anyway, I collected my cheese bloomer at the pickup point. It was perfect. And when I went to leave my positive response on Olio, I noticed that the person offering the bloomer was an Olio team leader. She's called Antonia. So I asked to meet her. She said yes, but she was busy. So we left it a week. She was still busy. A few weeks later, there was a little gap in time and we met in a brightly lit location with plenty of exits and eyes on us. True story. So, my first question to Antonia was, where does the food on Olio come from? The food can come from individuals, supermarkets, school canteens, um, surplus food can be shared by midnight the same day. You mentioned supermarkets. I think it was in the news about three years ago when Tesco and Olio decided to join forces. So now Tesco can donate its food and people will collect the food for distribution later. I think that's where the idea of food waste heroes or oleo captains comes along. Is that what you are? I am both a food waste hero and a team captain for Tesco supermarket in Cambridge. It's every day different amount of food. So sometimes you can have five bags and sometimes you can have one bag. And it's like surprise. The food-sharing app called Olio began in 2015 with the idea to reduce food waste. It currently operates in 49 countries 
and is mentioned regularly in the media. In 2016, Alan went to meet one of the founders of Olio. Her name is Sasha Celestial One. In the beginning, we never could have imagined all of the different ways in which people end up with extra food. Whether you've simply bought too much or maybe you've bought something for your child or a toddler or a husband or a house guest and they change their mind and they don't like it anymore. Or a house guest, for example, leaves something behind. Whether or not you're going on holiday or moving house, there's um, lots of examples of when you might find yourself with food that uh, you simply aren't going to be able to eat in time or maybe you just don't really fancy it um, and you'd feel a lot better if someone who was really going to appreciate it had it. Meanwhile, team captain Antonia has only been in Cambridge a short while. She and her cousin Serge are refugees from Ukraine. When I met her, Serge had just arrived that day. Now, she and Serge spend a lot of their spare time collecting and distributing food on behalf of Olio. We had quite a big question how to survive, to adapt to the environment, as we were very tough on our budget, and still the budget is limited. So I was wondering if there is some possibility that people give something away that they don't need. What is it you like about Olio? I personally like the idea of sharing and also it's about managing waste, so to decrease the waste but also to give a second life for some stuff that I don't use and also I like to give something to others if I can't use it myself but it's a good and nice stuff. Food sharing is still a leap of faith for a lot of people. Food sharing is definitely our primary focus. We do enable people to share other household items as well. Um, such as cleaning products or toiletries or other sort of household consumable items that you might not actually want anymore. So we really encourage people to, if they're not quite yet ready yet to share food, to try sharing something that's um, more of a household item and then experiment from there. I can imagine people might be a bit wary of sharing food. You know, you know, if you sort of, I don't know, take something that somebody has baked, you don't know whether it's hygienic. And, and that's, that's absolutely true. That would be the same as buying um, a cupcake or something freshly baked at a village fete or school fair. Um, and there's, or going over to someone's house that maybe you don't know that well for a dinner party. There is an element of trust involved and also just uh, being sensible and uh, making sure that you sort of look, and you look at food and smell food and use your best judgment and ask any questions that you need to ask to make sure that you feel comfortable the food has been handled and stored properly. Do you ever get people who donate homemade food? Yes, it depends on the area. Sometimes people cook something and uh, they want to donate it or they cook for a very big family and then it's uh, still something left and it's uh, good and homemade food. Recently in the summertime, one lady posted that she has a garden and uh, she has apples and pears and she said, I just put this in the box near the house. Uh, please welcome and help yourself. Anyone who's interested in volunteering to work with a business, whether it's a big retailer or simply a local bakery or a market stall, you should definitely reach out to us because we've got a whole sort of process and system in place. And it's a lot of fun to actually physically rescue food and make sure that it feeds someone rather than ends up in the bin. Anybody can use Olio? For sure, it's for anybody. It's free and available for everyone to use. How long have you been using Olio here? Roughly one year. Have you noticed more or less people using Olio during that time? Probably more people because on Olio you can also see if it's a new registered member or if people have some uh, history and experience of using Olio. 
The reality is that the scale of food waste is so big that in order to make a meaningful dent in it, we need everyone to participate. If oleo becomes just the haves giving to the have-nots, then it quickly falls apart. One of the things that we've learned through speaking with our users is those people that are potentially in a more vulnerable situation or on a really tight budget. What they love about oleo is the anonymity. When they when they collect food, they're not in sort of immediately pigeonholed as someone who can or cannot afford that food. So there, there's some privacy there um, in collection. Uh, and what we do see is that a lot of people um, like to use oleo because there's a lot of fresh fruit and veg. And that those are the types of items that you can't, for example, get at a food bank. So it can be quite complimentary. Just finally, it must be a very nice feeling that you're saving so much food that would otherwise go to waste. That's really a very great feeling and also feelings that they can uh, share and help others. It gives us more opportunity to be useful for others and uh, sometimes even to inspire other people because when they come to collect some food from us, they also wonder how happens that we are in our situation being uh, from Ukraine, being refugees ourselves, but also helping people and sharing like this. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, many thanks to Antonia for speaking to me about her oleo experiences. It was uh, Ukraine Independence Day on Thursday, just gone. I think the Ukrainian flag may still be flying at the Guild Hall, actually. Um, a statement from the council says there's currently over 100 homes in the Cambridge area hosting refugees from Ukraine in the short term, and then there is potential support for finding longer-term accommodation once that initial hosting has ended, which is what Antonia was talking to me uh, about briefly when we were recording. I know she's got massively long hours of study at the CRC during the week and she's, well, because she's so keen to improve her prospects and all other times, it seems, uh, she is a local food hero for Oleo. Speaking of which... That, of course, links us to the part of the programme where we detail free food available in and around Cambridge. And, of course, the information about what's available, uh, where to get it, where it comes from, is through the Oleo app. And that exists so that people's or businesses' surplus food doesn't go to waste. And looking at Oleo today uh, shows us that in Cambridge, uh, Will Run, good old Will Run on Coleridge Road, he's come through once again and he's got lots of loose mixed pastries to give away. Croissants, cinnamon twirls, pecan nut plats, chocolate twists, almond croissants, cheese twists. And on top of that, he's got four cheese bloomers, a sourdough bloomer, baguettes and paninis. It looks like he's collected all of these from a local Tesco as well. So fill your boots because these do go fast. And here is proof of that because the enigmatically named H on Gravel Road has posted up a load of bread-related offerings, which he did a little bit earlier than Will Run and... As a consequence, lots of his stuff has already been claimed. He's just got a few loaves of uh, thick-cut tiger bloomer left. Next up is Mally, who lives right next to CUFC and has some pots of basil available, whilst Kirill, near the train station in Great Shelford, has 33 bananas available for pickup, along with a bag of six wholemeal rolls and six hot dog rolls. Teresa in Chesterton has a box of gluten-free bread sauce for anybody who wants it. And to round off the rather bread-heavy theme, Claire B in Arbury has offloaded a lot already and now is left with six wholemeal rolls and a four-pack of large white paps. So, as a regular user, you can perhaps start to see a pattern of uh, what type of thing is available and when throughout the week. And this, this is just a snapshot of what is available on the Olio app right now.
And there is another free app. It's called Too Good To Go. I've used this too. It's great. It has unsold food from restaurants and shops, often at less than half price. And rather than specifying each leftover item, the surplus food is simply packaged as a magic bag ready for you to take home instead of it being binned at the end of the day's trading. You get some really excellent value stuff in those bags. Okay, time for some more news. And Liz Young from the Modern Kitchen and Sam Adams of Node are having a Sunday sit-down. Now, this is a five-course dinner in the evening at the Wine Rooms in Hills Road with no and low drinks pairings. Dishes include a canapé of rye, confit tomato, seeds, hedari and kale matched with a clarified strawberry and tomato old-fashioned. It costs £80 per person, including five courses, paired drinks, nibbles and a welcome drink. And you can book for that via the Modern Table website. Some events at Cam's Cuisine coming up. On the 14th of September, there is a cheese night with Renneton Rind at the Royal Oak in Barrington. It begins at 7pm. There's four courses with a cheese board at £38.50. And booking is essential via the Royal Oak website. Also on the 14th of September at the Three Horseshoes in Maddingley, it's Fish Night. Beginning at 6.30, there are six courses for £55 with optional paired wines. Booking is essential here too on the Three Horseshoes website. Now, there is a Spanish tapas supper club coming up in Fenstanton on the 29th of September with an enticing menu that includes smoked chicken with chorizo and red pepper sauce, grilled tiger prawns with seared lemon and summer vegetable paella. And a dessert is Seville orange meringue pie. The cost is really reasonable. It's £35 and you can book by phoning 07488 291 195. Uh, don't worry if you weren't able to write that down. You could also do it by visiting littlepiggyfanstanton.co.uk. The Gog Farm Shop is starting a steak club to let you know about exceptional beef products and to hear about such things as recipes and wine pairing suggestions, technical and practical tips for cooking steak, upcoming butchery classes and events. So if that sounds good to you, just email hello at thegog.com. The masterclasses run by Culinaris and Amphora, they're starting up again, probably in September now, with a different approach. Numbers will be restricted to about 10 participants, enabling everybody to engage easily with the class and allow more interaction. They'll be taking place at either Culinaris or Amphora, both are on Mill Road. Heathfruit Farm is likely to be at Ely Market today, and in addition to Victoria Plums, there will be Green Gauges, Count Altham's Gauge, and the Return of Damsons, with Merryweather Damsons and Shropshire Damsons too. And finally, Emerald Foods on Cambridge Market is now selling grilled Turkish olives, which are apparently really delicious. Okay, now on to some quick and easy fish recipes from fishmonger Ben Roberts. Today, Ben focuses on cod and haddock. Ben, a very popular fish for years, I think, has been cod. Yes. What, what can people do quickly and simply with cod? Oh, it, it's one of those fish that you can virtually do anything with. You could steam it, fry it, bake it, poach it, anything you like. And depending on whether you get a thick piece of cod or a thin piece of cod will sort of dictate what you do with it. So if you're going to roast it, you'd really want it a bit thicker because it will keep better, uh, it won't dry out too much. You can roast in a bits of fish in the oven, but... You just have to do it quicker, you know, you don't leave it in as long. A steaming as well is thinner fish, cooks quicker, doesn't take much cooking and, you know, really, really nice. But it goes with anything. And cod for me was always the one that, I, that was with a parsley sauce. I know it's a, an old thing, but it was always with parsley sauce. And 
I always thought if you had cod, it had to be with a sauce. If you had haddock, you didn't you had haddock on its own. Because I think haddock's got more flavour, uh, and it's a, it's a nicer fish flavour. And um, being from Grimsby, everything's haddock in the chip shops. And I suppose in London and down south, people had cod. Because <laughs> yes, cod was always yes. more ex- expensive than haddock for some reason. So the dearer fish went to London and to Birmingham and to everywhere, whereas the haddocks, which were cheaper, were the seaside fish. Yeah. But you're right, haddock uh, does have more flavour than mm. cod. Yes. And in fact, until I had haddock from you, I don't think I'd had good haddock, because <laughs> the difference in flavour was quite remarkable. Oh, absolutely, actually. yeah. I mean, fresh fish needs to be fresh. Yeah. You know, you can't just call it fresh just because you want to. Uh, and the difference in um, getting fish that's fresh from the market, which I buy and I fill it and I bring it here, uh, to things that have either been in the freezer for you don't know how long and all of that, it makes a massive difference in the flavour. You know? And a lot of the time, if you go to fish and chip shows, you don't know if it's fresh fish. They can say it's fresh fish, but it can just mean they've only fr- they fresh fried, which doesn't mean anything. You know, and a lot of supermarkets use words like refreshed, which is another word for defrosted, which is rather frustrating because they don't tell it's frozen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with haddock, again, steaming. Yeah, what, what sort of length of time in the they steamer? They don't take long. It's a couple of minutes, you'll see them. You'll, you'll see it on the steamer. You'll see if the steam's coming from below, obviously, you'll see the top of the fish goes white and it's cooked. Yeah, it's it's that quick, and it will only take a couple of minutes. So a good guide to whether your fish is cooked or not is is the turning of turning white. Yes, top yep. of the fish is white. It's cooked. Yeah, yeah, yep. okay, <laughs> absolutely. And thanks to Ben Roberts, Ben brings his Grimsby fish to Grantchester Street on Saturday mornings from about eight thirty a.m. to around twelve thirty. However, he is currently on holiday, but he will be back next Saturday. That's the third of September, and he'll have some more ideas from Ben in about a month's time. So we're going to take a short break now to change the tyres and the front wing, but we will be back with food news and jobs and a trip to a food museum. We'll see you in a couple of minutes. Cambridge 105 Radio. On Sunday afternoons, relax with Jazz Today and Pete Butchers. Join me for music at the cutting edge. Mainly new releases, many on small independent labels. The stuff you rarely get to hear elsewhere. I'll also be keeping a watching brief on jazz events in and around Cambridge, as well as chatting to local and visiting musicians. Jazz Today at 4pm every Sunday afternoon on Cambridge 105 Radio. Go on, challenge yourself. It's forecast to be another hot summer. Watering the lawn, cleaning the car, filling up paddling pools. It all adds up to a massive strain on our local water resources. But did you know a hose uses up to 1,000 litres an hour? That's as much as an average adult uses in a week. And every single litre is high-quality drinking water taken from the same groundwater sources that supply Cambridge's chalk streams, including the cam. If we all switch our hose for a watering can this summer, we'll keep millions of litres in local streams. Can for the cam. And not only will you save water, but you'll help protect habitats and wildlife for generations to come. And while you're doing your bit, here at Cambridge Water, we'll be doing ours, finding and fixing leaks as quickly as possible. You can find out more about saving water and why it's important at cambridge-water.co.uk. Just look for Can for the Cam on our homepage. Can for the Cam. Ditch the hose this summer. The ultimate challenge is back. The 17th Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival in aid of Addenbrooke's Charitable Trust takes place on Saturday the 9th of September. 
Gather your colleagues, hit the water, and hear the cheers of the crowd as you paddle your way to victory. No experience necessary. There's even a range of bankside entertainment, food stalls, and fun activities to guarantee a fabulous day out for all the family. For more information and to register your team, visit dragonboatevents.co.uk. The 2023 Cambridge Dragon Boat Festival, organized by New Wave Events and supported by Cambridge 105 Radio. Welcome back to Flavour. And time for a bit more news now. Finn boys have native blue lobsters ready cooked for £25 to £28. Also, they've got sardines, hake, John Dory, and sea bass. If you're interested, orders need to be made 48 hours in advance. Sweet Pea Market Garden has opportunities for volunteers to do a variety of jobs at its small holding in Caxton. The day for volunteering is Thursdays from 10am until 3 and you can contact Adrienne via social email to arrange. And CoFarm on Coldham's Common, they need volunteers too in the afternoons or the evenings. You can contact them through their website which is cofarm.co. Uh, I'd like to point out that's not co.uk, it's just c-o-f-a-r-m cofarm.co. Uh, something for your diaries now. There's a fundraising event in October for CAM site, the Cambridgeshire Site Loss Charity. Uh, called Dine in the Dark, they will be opening up two CAM's Cuisine restaurants and inviting diners to have an evening at the restaurant and eat their meals blindfolded. It's to help people to experience what it's like to be visually impaired and raise awareness of the work that they do at the charity to support those living with sight loss. The dates are the 12th of October and the venues are Millworks in Newnham Road and the Three Horseshoes in Maddingley. More details as and when we get them. That's the little snippet of music that leads us into wine news, and we start with wine tastings. And looking ahead at Market House, Bill Brogan will be hosting an autumn wine tasting on the 10th of October at 6pm. Uh, there will be six wines from unusual grape varieties to taste. The cost is £38, and the event will last about 90 minutes. Looking further ahead on the 10th of November, Bill will host a Christmas wine tasting. I think that marks our first mention of Christmas this year as well. Again, there will be six wines. It's also £38 and a 6pm start. The expected duration is 75 minutes. Both of our events are at Market House in Cambridge's Market Square. Now, Gutter and Stars 202 Bacchus is now available. Vintner Chris Wilson describes it as edgy and electric with white peach, gooseberry and lanolin characters and a racy but rounded grapefruit acidity. That is £23 a bottle. And there's a tasting of the new Pinot Noir and other Gutter and Stars wines at the Chesterton Mill in French's from noon until 6pm on the 16th of September. Wines will be sold by the glass and bottles will be available to take home. At the wine rooms on the 7th of September, there is a tasting of Vintage Corner, including one dating from 2007. The cost is £35, and the tasting runs from 7 till 8.30pm. On the 14th of September, at the same time and for the same price, there is a tasting of the lesser-known vineyards of Piedmont and Roero. I hope I said that right, Roero. And on the 21st of September, there is a tasting of the wines of Catalonia, all tastings at the wine rooms on Hills Road. They'll include light bar snacks, and you are very welcome to book for dinner afterwards too. And finally, 
at Amphora in Devonshire Road on the 30th of August, there will be a tasting of famous sweet wines at a cost of £40. There's also an introduction to blind wine tasting on the 3rd of September, also priced at £40. There's going to be 10 wines, 5 white, 5 red, each with varietal typicality. It will feature different wines to the earlier blind tasting session at Amphora. It runs from 3 till 5pm, and that is all our news for the day. Now, here's an extra item that we wanted to squeeze in. Seeing as it's the summer holidays for just a little bit longer, uh, this idea could be of interest to your kids. Now, museums can be a good day out, though you have to make the right choice. And Andrew Webb, who used to be a Flavor Regular contributor just a few years ago, has been to one which features some food ideas. They're a bit unusual, to say the least. How does Weetabix spread with fish paste sound? Or poached egg on shredded wheat? Well, you may be surprised to learn that many products have changed their serving suggestion or market position since their invention. Pay a visit to the excellent Museum of Brands in London's Notting Hill and you'll see a carton of Weetabix from the 1930s advising you to serve said biscuits with milk, jam or cheese. The idea of putting a slice of cheese on a Weetabix and having it as a snack or for supper may seem crazy nowadays, but back then, products like this, and there were a number of them, were intended almost as long-life bread replacements. I actually tried this serving suggestion out, and while not totally unpleasant, it wasn't particularly tasty. But cheese wasn't the only topping. There's an advert from the 1920s that suggests spreading with jam, marmalade, fish or meat paste, or even sardines. Try that with the kids at breakfast. Another product that's changed over the years is Lucasade. If you're a child of the 60s or 70s, you knew you were really poorly when Mum got the Lucasade in. Invented in 1927 by Geordie chemist William Owing and originally called Glucosade, it was originally designed to aid recovery of people with colds and illnesses. In 1929, it dropped the G, becoming Lucasade, and was even dispensed in hospitals to the sick. Then in 1983 everything changed and the iconic cellophane yellow wrapper was ditched and the drink repositioned as a sports drink rather than an illness recovery drink. AIDS recovery became replaces lost energy. This move was spearheaded by one of the greatest adverts of all time. It featured Olympic decathlon gold medalist Daley Thompson training to the heavy riffs of Iron Maiden's Phantom of the Opera and then refreshing himself with Lucasade. What's more, the voiceover at the end is none other than a legendary sports commentator, Des Lynham. You can't get more sport than that. This move remains perhaps the greatest brand repositioning ever, creating a whole new market section that later gave rise to Red Bull, Powerade and NRG, which a friend of mine once pronounced NERG. Kedgeri is another product that's totally changed. The roots of Kedgeri lie in the Indian dish of Kichari, which is made with rice and lentils, flavoured and coloured with turmeric and mostly eaten for breakfast. In 1845, Eliza Acton, who never actually went to India, published a recipe that not only featured cayenne instead of turmeric, but also had eggs cracked into it. And it is she who is responsible for the inclusion of haddock, a fish not exactly plentiful in the Bay of Bengal. David Burton, author of The Raj at Table, explains that smoked Scottish haddock was becoming more available nationally at this time, and so we were subsequently added to the dish here. Mrs Beaton only ever used mustard as her heat-giving condiment, which is odd given that curry powder appears elsewhere in her eponymous tome. Over the years, all sorts of things have been added, from peas to hard-boiled eggs to mango chutney. So it's an Indian dish that's now made with totally different British ingredients that was once eaten for breakfast, but now is more likely to be eaten for supper. Clear? Good. 
Though a few decades older than Weetabix, shredded wheat was also intended as a bread substitute, and it too was promoted with a variety of toppings and serving suggestions. Adverts from the 1900s encourage housewives to split them and toast them under a grill before topping with fruit, or even a poached egg. Again, in the name of research, I actually tried this combination for a recent Radio 4 documentary, and I can tell you that it's not particularly nice and far too dry. This, it goes with anything for a dried biscuity cereal product, sounds bonkers these days, right? Well, the latest Rivita ad is exactly that. Yoghurt was once the foodstuff of traditional Greek farmers and those with an intimate love of dairy animals. It was only ever eaten in this country by health-conscious hippies in the 1960s. You'll find no trace of it in the likes of Mrs Beaton or right up to Dorothy Hartley in the 1950s. Historically, a soured milk product in Britain was called a wig or a whey wig sometimes flavoured with herbs such as mint or sage, and even then normally consumed as a drink. But even this use had pretty much died out by the end of the 19th century. Then, in 1963, ski yoghurt was launched, which saw masses of fruit and sugar added to natural yoghurt and single-handedly create a whole supermarket sector overnight. Of course, now that sugar's in the spotlight, we are, in some cases at least, returning to natural or Greek-style yoghurts once more. Georgian physician and health farm entrepreneur William Oliver extolled the virtues of drinking Bath's waters. He also invented the Bath bun, made with a sweetish dough and often containing caraway seeds. His patients, however, enjoyed his buns rather too much, so he invented the Bath Oliver, made from flour, milk, butter, malt and hops. It was a light, easy-to-digest biscuit and helped some of his more portly patients slim down. They were, in their way, the original Rivita, they're still available, although now more like to be topped with a big slab of cheese. Huntley and Palmer's, biscuiteers to the rich and famous, even do a chocolate-coated one, which they describe as the ultimate biscuit indulgence, which is probably not what Dr Oliver had in mind. Another product of empire, tonic water, was a way to make quinine a touch more palatable. From the 17th century until the 1940s, quinine was the only anti-malarial medicine available, and British staff stationed in tropical regions where malaria was rife began mixing the bitter bark extract with soda water. These original medicinal tonics contained large amounts of quinine, some 500 to 1,000 milligrams, whereas the quinine in your average G&T today is about 80 milligrams. They're there to give the unique bitter flavour, so what started off as a medicine soon became a mixer. An equivalent today would be for Cavornia cough syrups to bring out a cocktail. So where does all this leave us? Well, products are constantly evolving, and what seems clear-cut right now might not be so in the future. Today's products, like ice cream, are always sweet, but there are those tinkering at the edges with more savoury flavours, like parmesan, which is great slightly melted with ham and melon on a hot day, or even chilli, that goes great with tiger prawns. And just a few years ago, salted caramel would have sounded ridiculous, and now it's hard to find unsalted caramel. So what products do you think will change their serving suggestions in the years to come? And tell us more. In the meantime, I'm off for a bath olive and a glass of Lucasade. <laughs> I am. We hope that you enjoy them, Andrew. That was Andrew Webb at the Museum of Brands in Notting Hill. It's open from 10 till 6, Monday to Saturday, and 11 till 5 on Sundays. However, it is going to be closed on the 27th and 28th of August because of the Notting Hill Carnival. Check out their website too. It's museumofbrands.com. <laughs> Oh!
Yeah, that music signals time for news from social media. And the Alex Pub, just across the road from our studio, has been tweeting about a beer festival that's taking place on the other side of town. It's called the Castle Hill Crawl. It begins today and it runs throughout the bank holiday weekend. The Cruel takes in the Grapes, the Sir Isaac Newton, the Architect, the Castle Inn and the Pickerel, and there'll be various events at these venues too, such as the Beer and Slider matching paddles at the Castle Inn. Now, what's a slider paddle thing? It's a selection of beers, served in thirds, with matching burgers served on a paddle. Uh, there's also live blues at the Grapes and cocktails and karaoke at the Sir Isaac. If you want to see the full rundown of everything that's available, just head online to castlehillcrawl.uk. Local food author B. Wilson tweeted that her latest book, The Secret of Cooking, is going to be out and available next week. And she's been signing copies for Waterstones. And Amelie Restaurants have also tweeted their menu for the weekend and a reminder that kids get to eat free there. Amelie Restaurants can be found upstairs in the Grafton Centre next to the cinema. Uh, that's all the social media. <laughs> And there's Green Onions signalling the start of our job section. Burwash Larder in Barton is seeking a full-time supervisor as well as deli assistants. Full-time positions involve a 40-hour week, including weekends, with a free lunch and staff discounts. And you can contact them via their website for more details and to apply. The Three Hills in Bartlow, winner of many awards, including two AA rosettes, a Michelin plate, and a placing at number 23 in Australia Downs' top 50 gastropubs, they're seeking a chef, possibly someone with good experience as a sous chef, or maybe already working as a head chef. So if that's you, contact info at thethreehills.co.uk with your CV and a covering letter. Now time for a quick roundup of other vacancies. You can apply for these via their company's website or perhaps pop in at a quiet time for a chat. So to begin, chefs de partie are needed at Bills, the Station Tavern, Browns, whose need is urgent by the way, uh, Pembroke College and King's College. A senior chef de partie for the pastry section is needed at Downing College. A breakfast chef is needed at Bill's, and a head chef is needed at Wagamama's. Uh, also, senior sous chefs are needed at Wagamama as well, uh, as well as Parker's Tavern and Bill's. Sous chefs are needed at the Station Tavern and Gourmet Burger Kitchen. And finally, an assistant manager and a waiter are needed at the Ivy Brasserie. And that brings us to the end of today's programme. Somewhat shorter than usual, I think you'll find, but hopefully we will be back to full strength next time. In the meantime, you can catch Flavour on alternate Saturdays at 12 noon. We're repeated on Mondays at 6pm and Thursdays at 2pm. And Flavour will also be available as a podcast early next week. Coming up next on Cambridge 105 Radio today at 1pm is The Gadget Guide with Robin Lawrence and at 2pm it's Sue Marchant's selection. But that's all from me. Flavour will be back on the 9th of September with lots more food and drink news, jobs and features. So until then, smoke me a kipper. I'll be back for breakfast. Goodbye. Goodbye.